Welcome to Behind the Curtain, LA Opera's podcast series in which we look deeply at the creative process and explore opera's enduring themes and power to move us. In this podcast, LA Opera Sebastian Paul and Mary Belmusco President and Chief Executive Officer Christopher Kelsch and AIDA Director Francesca Zambello discuss the challenges and joys of producing Verdi's AIDA for modern audiences. Come see LA Opera's AIDA from May 21st to June 12th, 2022 at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in downtown Los Angeles. Tickets are available now at laopera.org. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Christopher. Happy to see you. Wonderful to see you as always. Thank you so much for taking some time today to talk AIDA. We're always excited to have you back at Los Angeles Opera. Your history with us goes back more than 30 years, and you brought us some of our most memorable endeavors, including most recently the incredible production of Candide that even this week people have asked me to revive. So we're really thrilled to have you back for Verdi's Titanic Aida. So we just wanted to spend a little bit of time today uh, just actually talking about that project in particular. Aida is one of those projects that I think lives very large in the collective imagination, and people have, a, I think, a pretty clear vision of of what an idea production is and and what it looks like and i would say i'm happy to share that yours defies uh, some of those expectations i think in a really really wonderful way so i'd love to start really with just with the basics which is how did you decide to tackle this work and then once you did how did you go about breaking down the interpretation in order to start to build the design concept with your collaborator well I just do want to say I'm always super happy to come to Los Angeles. I love it there. So this Aida, actually, a lot of credit goes to Christopher Kelsch. And I want to say that right up front, because we were both talking about, as he said, the Titanic and somewhat impossible Aida, because everyone comes to Aida with this idea that there's like, it's an opera with like parking lots full of scenes, when actually... There's one large scene and the rest of the opera are what we would consider chamber scenes, uh, scenes with one or two people and offstage chorus or uh, not a lot. And so we were talking about it just philosophically and Christopher mentioned an artist, an LA based artist named Retina and said, have you ever seen this guy's stuff? And he showed me a picture of it. And I was like, wow, maybe that's like a solution because a lot of Retina's lingua is his version of hieroglyphics and when i saw those and saw some of his murals there's a mural actually that used to be near where my mother used to live near park la brea near the tar pits and i saw his work and i said i better look at it for real so then i looked at that and then i wrote him a letter and i said can't we do aida and do it with all this stuff. And at that time, it wasn't in your planning. And so I took the idea to David Gockley then and said, I think this is a way to into Aida visually that will satisfy people who think there has to be something about Egypt, but also give us a contemporary viewpoint and a way to tell the story, which for a director, it is tricky because it's, there are so many scenes that are just two people. And then you've got to worry about one huge scene. We started the production in San Francisco with Retina. He designed the artwork, and then the set designer, Michael Jurgen, translated it into scenery. Anita Yavich, who I believe has worked there, did the costumes, which those were not inspired by him, but those were her world. But of course, they dealt with color and, and all of that together. 
and the lighting is by Mark McCullough. And it, it strange for a production today, it doesn't use projections. One of the things that is also very important in the piece is dance. Dance is a huge part of the work. And so I went to Jessica Lang, who, funnily enough, I first met well over a decade ago when she was beginning at ABT. And it was Rachel Moore, who is still there, who introduced me to her because Rachel is a friend of mine. And she said, you know, I think you'd like this choreographer. Jessica and I first did a religious piece together and then have done several other things. And then I asked her to do Aida. And I wanted the dance to really take over the ceremonial part of the opera. The opera has a lot of what you would consider religious or ceremonial. And often that is related to something Egyptology, which is, you know, Verity didn't know about Egypt. So why don't we create our own language? So it was like create our own visual language with the sets and then create our own movement language with the dance. And so the dance often, as you'll see in the temple scenes, suggests, again, our own world of movement, which is very beautiful and very poetic. And then dance is a big part of the triumphal scene, which we'll, let's talk about that separately. So the dance is part of it. And then the other thing is there, I wanted kids who could do parkour, which would be a part of the dance because as we sadly see the world over, children, usually young boys are enlisted and are given a gun at the age of 13. And so the piece historically is about the Ethiopians and the Egyptians. And I wanted it to feel more like a kind of a civil crisis. I don't think it's like overly underlined in the piece, but it's not like when Verdi wrote it, the Ethiopians were people of color and the Egyptians were white. And I obviously that was not something that I wanted to do or that we would do today. And so it just felt that it was much more, it was like there are the people who are the sort of wealthier, more powerful people, which are the people who are the northern people who are all you'll see in green and purple and very lavish colors, which is Omneris. And then, of course, the king, Aida and her father are in the greens and the purples. And then everybody else is in these very royal, wealthy, rich looking yellows, golds, that sort of thing. It was really a question of creating the spaces with retina, which feel modern and historic at once and costumes that are long and beautiful and flowing for the women and that for the men are suggestive of uniforms in some ways or also men who might be a form of religious priests. So it's like you don't want to avoid those things, but you want to create your own language for those things. In the end, what is the desire when you want something to, as you say, kind of be modern to resonate with a modern audience? What's behind that a desire? Is that a desire around access? Is it a desire around an aesthetic world? Is it a desire around democratizing access to the art form? I think the question is great because those are the answers. Aida, like Carmen, like La Boheme, has very recognizable aspects to it. I think what makes it really different is that it's a human drama surrounded by a war. Those other pieces, they don't have war. They have like human emotion love stories. And that's why I think Aida is always a little bit tricky because there's a war going on and you want to not downplay that, but you want to make that that that's the background and you want to make the sort of political drama be in the front. And I think political dramas lend themselves to feeling contemporary. I mean, we just, we think about politics and Hamilton is contemporary. And I did do this once. I did make a very modern 
dress Aida. Everything was contemporary. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really like it. I like that there's an element of ceremony in this and the abstract, which the visual really gives us. And I think that makes it, I don't know if it's accessible, but it certainly, I hope, draws you into the story and allows the power of the music. The music is so powerful at Aida. Your wonderful music director, James Conlon, is conducting it. The music is so overwhelming and so powerful and so beautiful. And you have assembled a superb cast, superb cast. You know, and I think that those are all the reasons to go to see Aida is you are swept into the emotional drama because it's a love triangle. The center of the opera is a love triangle. And around it is war. And the good thing that makes it dramatic is that the person in the center, the male, Rodimus, is caught between his desire and his desire is Aida, who is the daughter of the general from the other side, and his duty, which is to answer to his king and his country, which means Omneris, who's the king's daughter, that he should be with. And he doesn't have any strong feelings for her, but it's a foregone conclusion. So that's like from the Greeks, the triangle. You know, the triangle works for drama. That's what's at the center of this. But I do think the other thing with the war and the religion, there's a lot of religion in this. There's a character who's a priest, Ramphis, who's a very central, important character. And he's one of those priests who you think, oh, I'm not sure he's such a good priest because he's like war, war, war. He's like right up there putting, you know, the gods with war. How do you show that in a way that reminds us of a contemporary world, but doesn't feel like we're dressing everyone in, in modern dress? Because I think sometimes that, takes away from the value of the film. We do it to make it accessible, but maybe it demeans the piece. I just have too much respect for Verity and for this opera. It's funny, you know, there's a handful of, of repertory pieces that audiences, certainly American audiences, but maybe nearly universally, pe people have a, a really a fixed sense of what the aesthetics need to be. It's a small and shrinking list. But it's really the most familiar titles, the Bohems, the Carmens, the Aidas, in which even if people haven't seen it, they have a picture in their head of what it is and what it looks like. And that half of the audience really embrace a different either dramatic interpretation and a different aesthetic interpretation. And often those two things go hand in hand. But then there's always a more conservative element of the audience who believes that somehow you're at risk of breaking uh, Bohem by interpreting it in a slightly different way. You have an incredible history, I think, of, and I think you and I share this point of view, that the vitality and the vibrancy of the art form can only be achieved in performance, and that these pieces are incredibly resilient, and they have a far greater capaciousness than people kind of give them credit for. Bringing this back to Aida, do you, do you ever worry about the idea that if aesthetically it is somehow distinct from that which people expect, that you're setting yourself up for, not for failure, but for disappointment or for frustration about this idea of, of the preciousness of the central object. Right. I think particularly this piece, and you're so right, Christopher, you know, the it is a shrinking minority of people who say to you, it should be like this. And I'm always like, oh, is that written down somewhere? Is that in the Bible? I mean, where is that writ? I think it's our collective job, those of us working in the theater, when we are taking on these pieces, it's our job to be as true as possible to the composer's librettist intentions and to tell the story. 
the way that we tell the story is the thing that may upset some people. And if you're working in the box office and somebody calls you and says, is this going to be one of those weird opera productions? I would say it is completely set in Egypt. It is uses some modern art. It's always great to put the word art after anything. <laughs> but it is also timeless and suggests a mythical time, which Verity himself said it's a mythical time. It's the time of the pharaohs. You know, it's not like something that's set in a very specific time. And I think it's important to talk about, you know, that it is stylish, visually strong, uh, spectacular movement, choreography, you know, incredible singing, unforgettable music. It does have one successful hit tune after another. Great choral singing. You know how some people really respond to that amazing visceral sense when a lot of people are singing and it's coming at you. And that's why the triumphal scene is very much staged with that in mind. The chorus is uh, on these sort of bleachers watching a procession and watching because it is, it's like a, it's, it's like any triumphal war day. You know, whenever people come back from war, there's always a triumphal parade and that's what we're doing. It's just, we use, I have to say, not tons and tons of supers and things like that, but a much more of a suggestive sense of what the war meant to win, you know, war spoils, uh, dance celebrations, you know, that sort of thing. And that does sit in the middle of the piece, the triumphal scene. And when you hear the trumpets off stage, the audience naturally just goes like, oh, something big is coming because it is. And, and, and we have to deliver. And so we have to deliver musically and, you know, visually as best we can. And yes, if people have seen Aida at the Arena Verona, or they have seen, you know, the classic Met production. This does not look like those, but it does create its own world, I think, of Egyptology, which was important when actually when Christopher first showed me these drawings, because I thought that is a contemporary view of something that feels Egyptian and, and distant and otherworldly. Listen, we're all dealing with the, it should have been like this people. But we're also finding that some audiences, you know, they don't want to see it like, oh, it's supposed to be. They want to see something else. But that's why I think it's that whole thing of we have to be true to the music and the story. I'd say that's my job. And I would actually argue that you've gone much further than that, that you've actually encompassed the performing history of the piece by creating spectacle on stage. There's clear spectacle. And again, I think that there's a there's a little bit of a gulf between what Aida actually is, which, as you point out, is a very, very intimate story set against a spectacular grand backdrop. But that, you know, the bulk of the actual piece is a human spectacle amongst a small number of people. The visual world that you've come up with is completely spectacular. And Jessica's choreography is completely spectacular. And we have spectacular singers and we have a spectacular orchestra. And so I don't want any of this conversation to lead people to believe that somehow this is chamber Aida. It's not even remotely that. No. I always think it's just interesting to, to again, just that there, there are these uh, pieces that people kind of have an idea fix about, about what they are. And weirdly in Aida, it usually involves livestock. We don't have any elephants and we have treated it as grand opera. The same way that, you know, the ring has many parts that is just one or two people. In that sense, sometimes we call the ring, it's a chamber moment. And this is like that. It feels like grand opera because 
you know, you have these magisterial voices, music. And I think each of the settings are eye-poppingly beautiful. They do have a real contemporary art feeling to them in terms of structure and nuance and lighting, staging, you know, plasmol, all those things were things that kind of went into thinking about this. And, and again, I do think it's, it's like you said, you know, we invented our own world for this the way that Verdi invented his own world. He never set foot in Egypt. Yeah, indeed. Uh, well, I want to thank you so much for your generosity of, of your time with us this afternoon and, and, and sharing your thoughts of this, this wonderful production. But also thank you of an incredible legacy of work, both for LA Opera and for the world of opera at large. We all collectively owe you such an incredible debt of gratitude for, and I say this advisedly, but really decades of extraordinary dedication to this art form. And we're really, really, really grateful and so looking forward to having you back uh, with us um, next month. I'm so looking forward to it. Thank you so much, Christopher. Come see LA Opera's Aida from May 21st to June 12th, 2022 at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in downtown Los Angeles. Tickets are available now at laopera.org. You've been listening to LA Opera's Behind the Curtain. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you'll want to make sure you don't miss an episode. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review on Apple iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen. Remember to share with your friends on your favorite social media, and we'll see you at the opera. Bye.